No pressure at all. <laughs> and I was telling you earlier this morning, this has to be the definition of being conflicted. <laughs> and um, if this church was selling during apartheid South Africa, they would have loved to buy this block. Segregation works brilliantly. <laughs> but um, it's an honor to be here, and I bring you greetings and love from your brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, people you haven't met but who love you because you love Jesus and who are with you at all times. And we want to thank you for what you have meant to us as a church um, and your commitment to the global church. And it's truly like coming to family, even though it's an extremely different culture, extremely different in every sense of the word, but Jesus is here. And that brings us together. And to experience that on this side of heaven, that's heavenly. And we praise God for that, and I'm honored to be here. But at the same time, I have to give a disclaimer. I am not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. You've heard great preachers and great teachers. I am sorry. It's not my fault. They asked me to speak. I never asked for this. Uh, but I'm going to ask that you pray that the Lord will speak. I, when I was asked to speak, I realized that, Lord, I, I sense you placing a word in my heart for 2013 for your children. And I pray that you would speak it and just use me as your vessel. Would you pray for me and pray earnestly and pray hard? And the Lord will speak. Would you stretch out your right hand and pray for me, please? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are and for all you have done in our lives. Lord, we are eternally grateful for your Son, for your Holy Spirit, for a love, Lord, that was so unconditional and so new and renewed every morning that gave us hope to live for you. We thank you, Lord, that we're here and we're stepping into a brand new year. But I pray we would walk with you, Lord. Lord, that we would seek more of you and less of ourselves. We would want to live for the glory of your name and the expansion of your kingdom. Oh, Lord, we surrender. And we are earnestly waiting to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray the words that I speak will not be my own, but yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying. Um, so, for those of you who may know something about Sri Lanka, I'm not going to even ask how many of you know where Sri Lanka is. I assure you, it is a country and I live there. Um, we, have had, uh, we just came out of a civil war of 30 years. It was one of the most brutal civil wars in the modern era. And um, Growing up in that, we saw so much of violence, so much of our politicians were assassinated, so much of our leaders were assassinated. And I was telling a friend recently, watching an R-rated movie uh, is, doesn't do anything for us, especially when it comes to violence. We've been so desensitized to violence. So that's the kind of context we grew up in. On top of that, we grew up as Christians in a country that pretty passionately disliked and some even hated Christians. The reason was we were colonized by the British, the Portuguese, and the Dutch, all who claimed to be Christians at the time, who really did some intense stuff against those who didn't believe Christianity. So anybody who remained a Christian after the colonial era was seen as a traitor. And during that context, my dad had the bright idea of being called into full-time ministry and serving the Lord. <laughs> and so, he started, so we were born into a ministry family. We served the Lord. And uh, I remember when we were young, we used to pray. When my dad would go out to preach somewhere, 
my mom would get myself or my sister and we'll be on our knees and say, bring dad home safe. But first she always prayed, may your kingdom be expanded by the work. And then, Lord, if it is your will, bring him back safe. And um, we grew grew up in that context. So growing up, you see the war, you see the persecution, and you're trying to figure out what's going on in your own life. And then all of a sudden, I had a strong sense, Lord, I think you're calling me to politics. I think you're calling me to the public arena. And I said this, I was like just 10 years old, and I told this to my parents. And that's like you're finding excuses to get yourself killed. You're a Christian and a politician. Those are immediately, you're like number one on the list. And obviously, my mom wasn't very happy. She was extremely, but they prayed about it, and I continued to pray. And I said, Lord, open doors. Now, I'm not here to share the entire story with you, but the reality was over the past few years, God has done amazing things. And the movement that we began resulted in creating the largest youth movement in our country. And the civil war that went on for 30 years came to an end. And we have been leading the way for reconciliation. People of all faiths, all backgrounds coming together and starting to rebuild our country. God has been doing that. We're so, we're so grateful for what he has done. But in that context, once again, I'm here for a two-month two period. I felt the Lord was asking me to pray and prepare for a global movement where we would look to impact young people across the world in conflict zones, before extremists and terrorist groups go in and brainwash them. If we are there, if we can win these children over, they will not be doing acts of terror. They will be rebuilding their countries and doing productive things for the world. We cannot let them be kidnapped by the evil one. We cannot stay in church and say, what can we do? We have been called to be the light of the world, to be where it matters, to be where it's the darkest, that the Lord's light may shine. And so I was praying about this vision, getting excited, writing this book on how it's possible and why we should do it, and getting really confident and excited and all those things. And all of a sudden I realized I was missing something. Something that I had five years ago when we started the journey in Sri Lanka. And that something was a desperation for God. Lord, if you don't do it, there is no way it's going to happen. I want you. I want you in this process. Because five years ago, we didn't have the skill, the network, the resources, the ideas, the capacity to do it. So now we thought we're good on our own. We thought it was all going to be fine. We got it. We underestimated the greatness of the cause. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go on this journey without you. Sometimes even in ministry, we're doing stuff and it becomes routine. We just do it every day, day in and day out. I'm just good at this. I just do it. And we forget to be desperate for the God who called us. And as you're stepping into 2013, in whatever you're doing, you may say, well, I know what it is to be a Christian in the world. I always do it. This is how I always, I've always done it. But if we forget to invite the Lord into the work that we do day in and day out, how will we be different to anybody else? That was my thinking in my mind. And I, the Lord led me to read Exodus chapter 33, which is our verse for today. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt. And go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Saying that I will give, you, give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and all the otherites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people. And I might destroy you on the way. So the Lord has had enough of Israel's consistent 
disobedience and consistent rebellious desire to be independent of God, the very God who called them and freed them from captivity. And finally, God says, you know what? If I continue to go with you guys, I will destroy you. Therefore, I'll keep my promise, but I am not going with you. It's a very crucial moment in the history of Israel. Let's look at the situation here. Moses is being offered the promised land. You're going to get it. Number two, all your enemies will be defeated. And number three, this land is not just a random land. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be prosperous, fertile. You're going to be great. You don't have to depend on me for food. You're going to be fine. So it almost seems like a blank check for Moses. You're good to go. Moses could have said, yes, Lord, it was nice knowing you. It's been very good. I've gone through a tough time. But especially with the risk of you destroying us halfway through and you continuing to try to poke your fingers in our business, I think it might be good to part ways now. Thank you. Our enemies are going to be taken care of. The land's going to be fertile. It's nice knowing you. You could have easily said that. This was a blank check. And mind you, this is not the same Moses who was stammering in front of a burning bush. This is not the same Moses who was lost in the wilderness for so long. This is not the same Moses who couldn't even walk into the Pharaoh's court without his brother. This is a man who has humbled the greatest civilization in the world by the grace of God. This is the man who has led hundreds of thousands of people who were mere slaves into becoming a great nation. He had the skills, the resources, the wisdom. People used to stay entire days in line just to talk to the man and get his wisdom. They saw the light of God through his life. He was the man. This is no longer stammering Moses. This was the man. And he could have said, all right, it's good. We're no longer God's people. You are my people, and I am Moses. He could have said, it's a new legacy, and I'm leading it. I know there were times that God didn't deliver when he had to deliver. There were things, I'll take care of it. It's all going to be good. But listen to Moses' response. It blew me away. In verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? This man was after God. He was after the giver and not the gifts. He was after the God who blesses and not the blessings. He had a blank check, but he said, I'd rather have you, Lord. Because he knew this was just the beginning. He knew greater things were to come. He knew that there was nothing that distinguished them from the rest of the world without God. There was a desperation for more of him. Even after all these years, even after all those blessings, and even after so many people saying, Moses, you are so great, you're awesome. Yeah, but God is what makes me what I am. Without him, I'm nothing. And I thought, wow, if Moses was so wise, with so much experience and all that, at that age could realize he wants more of God. What makes me think I've got it under control? The only reason may be you have an overestimation of yourself or an underestimation of the challenges ahead. Because God has called us for much greater things that baffle the parameters of our comfort zone and take us to new territories because he is in the business of expanding his kingdom. Are we earnestly wanting him in this year? Lord, I want you. It's not a formality. Lord, it would be nice to have you around. 
but I have plan A, B, C, D, and you're E. When things really get messed up, I need you. If not, I got it sorted. I'm an educated, intelligent, skilled person. I'll do life. I've been doing it well. But when I'm in trouble, I want you. It'd be nice to meet you on Sunday when I come. Give me a good worship service, a great sermon and all that. That'll keep me going, but I'm fine. But the reality is, he's calling us for a deeper intimacy. When we know the profound truth of how much we want him. It's about him and not about me. And I'm not just entitled for his presence. I seek him with all my heart. Day in and day out. Let me share a story um, that might help explain this. Growing up in Sri Lanka all my life, and then coming to Boston to do my undergrad studies at Gordon College, was a culture shock to the nth degree. <laughs> Just talk about being in a tropical island, living there, and then coming to Boston, an intellectual capital of the world, freezing cold. And I was saying at one point, Lord, if you wanted to kill me, you could have killed me in so many ways in Sri Lanka. Why did you bring me here to die in the snow? And I was freezing, Lord, help me. And I'm confused when people say it's cold here. You should go to Boston. It's crazy. And I'm there, and I'm saying, Lord, why? So, so much of culture shocks, trying to figure it out. Never studied in English all my life, trying to figure things out. And in the midst of that, one of the most impressive culture shocks I had was back home, if somebody offers you something, Let's say you offer to take me out for a meal or you offer me some tea. Um, my first answer, even though I want it, is no. So you then have to ask me a second time. You say, no, no, I really want you to have this. And I will say again, no. And the third time when you ask me again, then I'll say yes. Because I want to make sure that you are sincere in asking me and I'm not intruding and I'm not coming and interfering with your time by being a part of it. So I'm not being dishonest. I'm just trying to make sure I'm not intruding. I want to make sure that you're sincere in your request. That's how it works, at least in our part of the world. So here I am in college, first day, lunch. I'm about to, all my roommates and uh, floor mates come, hey, Prashant, we're going out for lunch. You want to join us? I say no. They left. <laughs> and I'm there thinking, how rude, how insensitive. How ignorant. And I write back to my mom saying, no lunch today. <laughs> Second day, come back. Hey, buddy, we're going for lunch. You want to join us? I say no again. They walk away again. Two lunches, no food. Third day, they come. Prashant, we're going out for lunch. You want to come? Before they could expect a response, I was at the door. So let's go. Now, the moral of the story is Jesus is Asian. When, when we request his presence, when we want him on board, if we're just saying as a mere format, saying, Lord, it would be nice to have you around, or is it a sincere, desperate cry saying, Lord, if you're not here, I don't want to move from this place. I want you on board. I want you to lead. If you don't build, I build in vain. If you don't lead, where am I going? If you don't go, how will the world know that I'm any different? There are people much more capable than me, more educated, more eloquent, more gifted, everything than me. What makes me different? Just the knowledge of knowing that you are God, that's good. But how will they see it if you are not in my life? And I want you. I'm not stepping into a day with the confidence of my ability, but I step into the day with the confidence that you are God and you are with me. If Moses knew that, how much more should we know and want that? And that was 
my desire for this year. Lord, no longer would I want to be dependent on my capacity, but desperate for your intimacy. We need the Lord. We need the Lord more than we ever understood. Are we sincere in our trust, thirst for God? Do we truly want more of him and less of ourselves? Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, a Roman citizen, one of the most intelligent, educated, sharp individuals of his time. But after coming to know Christ and knowing the Lord, he says he lives his life by faith, not by his capacity, not by his giftedness, but he lives it by a dependence on God. And therefore, his life was no longer about him, but for him it was to live was Christ. If he knew it, why is it taking so long for me to figure it out? Paul continues to talk in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His entire existence was about the glory of God. His entire existence was being dependent on God. He was not saying, for me to live is my life. And when I'm in trouble, it's Christ. And when I die, I hope to God it's gain. He knew the reality of it. He saw the gravity of the vision and the cause ahead. And he saw the greatness of his God. The giants of our time and the challenges that loom over us are not too great for our God. But we walk alone, we're asking for trouble. And it's easier to be desperate when you're in a situation of persecution, when you're in a situation of financial difficulties and all of that things. You, I've seen our people back home be so desperate for God. And then I see God deliver, do the unthinkable, using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Why? Because they asked with all their heart. It's you or nothing, Lord. I want you. But then when I think of your culture, I've been here for a month and a half now, and I believe you're being persecuted too. You're in an era that is mocking the church, standing up against the values we stand up for, and trying to find ways to disregard the power of the gospel and the power of the church that has withstood the test of time. God's presence and power has been there from generation to generation. They're trying all they can to destroy your credibility and who you are and what you stand for. But in the midst of that, the only way we will show the world is if God is with us. If not, what makes you and I different? Who am I to say that I'm any better? I think that's when they get this idea of, oh, you guys have a holier-than-thou attitude. We're just like not good enough for you and that sort of a thing. Because maybe at times they don't see our desperation that it is God. When they see me, do they see Christ? Or when they see me, do they see a person who believes a certain ideology, do they feel the presence of the living God? But we are again, we're standing up against a world that is truly abandoning God, whether it's here or across the world. And in a situation like that, Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lott, was interviewed on a TV show. And this was immediately after Hurricane Katrina. And um, 
the host asks us, how could God let something like this happen? And Graham gave a very profound response. She said, I believe God is deeply saddened by this, just as we are. But for years, we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our government, and to get out of our lives. And being the gentleman he is, I believe he has calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessings and his protection if we demand he leave us alone? They're trying everything they can to push our values and God out of the picture. But that's nothing new for people from our part of the world. We don't even understand the definition of democracy. We don't have religious freedom. We've lived in that. But guess what? God is still seated on the throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the world will know it when his children depend on him to lead us forward. They can bring all the laws they can. They can continue to mock. They can use the media. They can do whatever they want. But they can't keep you out of society. And you, if you are the light of the world, will shine the truth of the gospel into the hearts that don't believe. There is a power beyond the parameters of our mind and our knowledge. And that is the supernatural power of God. And we will reflect his light in a world that continues to say it doesn't exist and they will know God is true. We were all created in the image of God, even those who mock the gospel. And when they see the presence of God so profound in our life, they will start realizing that this was the nature in which they were created. They don't even know it, but they're desperate for God. They're hurting for God. That's why I love the words of Francis of Assisi when he said, Preach Christ at all times. Use words when necessary. In a world that will continue to reject us for what they think we stand for, what they think we are, with all the negative propaganda that's going on, when they see who you are, they will not only be pleasantly surprised, they'll be inclined to want to know more. That is our calling. And we're not going to be able to do it by our own capacity our own ability to debate and prove that we're right. It's your truth against their truth. How is it going to be possible? But if it's the presence of God overflowing from you and me into a world that does not believe, the best is yet to come. We need the Lord because we want to be used for his glory in all we do. If we truly believe, Lord, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, then in everything I do, even in the small things, I pray that you will be glorified and that you will be used. You will, I will be used for your glory. Even in the little things. In this context, I remember I was in Washington, D.C. I had an internship. I was working for the Senate Republican Conference. And when I was working for them, I, um, I, I felt one day the Lord tell me, I was like, Lord, I'm here. Am I making a difference? Like, why am I here? And uh, I felt the Lord tell me, you need to invite all the interns for dinner to your house and even cook for them, Sri Lankan food. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Bad thing is I don't know how to cook. <laughs> and uh, so I decided I'm going to go and call all the interns and said, hey, I'd like you guys to come over to my house, uh, my apartment, and I'm going to cook for you. I'm like, oh, great. Then the two Orthodox Jewish friends of mine walk up to me and say, Prashant, thank you so much for the invitation, but we can't come. I said, why not? The food won't be kosher. And we can't eat that food. I'm like, is it because it's Sri Lankan food or because it's the way it's prepared? He said, no, no, not because it's Sri Lankan. It's the way it's prepared. I said, can you go to your rabbi and ask him how I can cook kosher Sri Lankan food? <laughs> so he went up to his rabbi and he says, 
and I said, how do I cook? And find out that it was just chicken. You had to buy the chicken at a kosher store. I said, go ahead and bring the chicken, and I'll cook. And he says, you will do that? I said, yeah, I want to make sure you're there. I have to make sure everyone's there. I'm going to do it for all of you. So he goes, on the day I was cooking, he calls me back and says, Prashant, one more problem. Uh, it has to be cooked in kosher pots and pans. I'm like, dude, I don't know where you can find that stuff. I don't even know what that means. And then he tells me, yeah, I know, I understand. It's okay. I'm so glad you tried to include us. It's fine. I said, no, 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 no. Where can I find it? And he says, well, we have some at the Jewish fraternity house. So brilliant. We'll have the party there, and I'll come cook there. I call everybody and say, everybody, we're meeting here. He's like, we're meeting at the Jewish fraternity house? What's going on? <laughs> so I'm here cooking Sri Lankan food in the Jewish fraternity house with a whole bunch of Orthodox Jewish friends wearing their yarmulkes. I'm walking around. I'm like, oh, man, what's going on here? So... And we have this meal together. Everyone comes. We have an amazing time. People of all faiths, from atheists to people from Catholic background, all of us, all there together laughing, having a great time, enjoying the food. At least they enjoyed it because they've never had Sri Lankan food before. They didn't know how bad it was. But <laughs> it was awesome. But I'm done with it. I'm like, Lord, I did it, but what's the big deal? I missed the train. I'm walking back home. I was like, okay, I just did it because you wanted me to, Lord. I hope you use it for your glory. I very distinctly remember praying that. But when I was leaving my internship and I walked up to my boss and said, hey, you need to come here, I want to show you something. He showed me a file that had a whole list of emails. He said, you remember that dinner you had? I said, yeah. That boy, Ari, was so touched by it, he wrote this long email to me and I forwarded it to the entire staff and then the Republican senators and it just went viral. I want you to see it. He wrote an exam saying, being in D.C. was the most phenomenal experience I had. But that night being included in something. All my life I was excluded because of my Jewish Orthodox faith. And here a Christian Sri Lankan went out of his way to include me. And people of all faiths sitting together, having a meal, enjoying together. I was so touched and that changed my life. And thank you for that opportunity. And he goes on to say that I know that with my life I want to be involved in interfaith reconciliation. That is when I knew I was called for that. That email went viral, and one of the senators writes back and says, I'm sitting on the Senate floor reading this email with tears in my eyes. God is so good. Today he's leading interfaith reconciliation work. And when he was getting married, he called me and said, Prashant, I'd like you to be part of the wedding. I said, I can't come from Sri Lanka. And he says, it's okay, but I just want to let you know that changed my life, and thank you. He got so excited, he went and wrote about it and sent it to all the Jewish newspapers in the country. The Jewish community thinks I'm a cook. <laughs> it was all over the place. And then, now he's joining me for a global movement of youth-led conflict transformation. And it was all because of some Sri Lankan food. It was not even good. But when God decides to use, and when we are desperate for him, and we say, Lord, take whatever... I'm nothing much, but I'm all yours. Take me and use me for the glory of your name. I think it was John Wesley who said, just give me a hundred people who fear nothing but God and who are willing to surrender day in and day out, and we will see the world changed. Are you in? God has called us for greater things, but yet we are comfortable in this comfort zone. We're comfortable in our ability and knowing that no one else can mess it up. I've got to figure it out. I don't want to depend on anybody else, not even God. I've got it. And so we do little things day in and day out and pat ourselves on the back and say, nice job. 
You're a very good person. Compared to all those people out there, you're a little better. But we were never supposed to be good compared to people. We were supposed to be good in the eyes of our God. And he was supposed to be pleased with us. God doesn't look down and say, yeah, compared to all of those losers, you're pretty good and I'm pleased with you. <laughs> like he's going to look at us and say, I am pleased with you. You outshine everything because you're my child. I delight in you. That's what he called us for. Well, some of you who, like me, are control freaks at times, who want to be in control, have everything on, everything nice to tie it up, then nice, done. Here's a story that might help you. Especially because you might say, I don't want to surrender all this to God. He might mess things up. I have everything fine. I didn't work hard all my life to be desperate right now. You know, I worked out of desperation. I'm like where I am. But the reality is, God is not done with you. If I'm living, he still has something through me to do. If not, the day I accepted Christ, he just bought lightning from him and struck me dead and brought me back to God and said, you belong here. He left us on this earth for a purpose. And why deviate from the purpose and live on my own when I can be dependent on him to do his work for his glory? In the marketplace, in the corporate world, in media, in church, in college, in school, wherever we are, let the light of God shine because we have invited him day in and day out to be with us. So if you're worried about giving full control to God, here's a story. There was this mother with a young boy they walked into the store, and when they walked into the store, uh, they, there was a shop owner who wanted to give some candy to the kid. So he opened the jar of candy, and he pointed it to the kid and said, take some. This kid, who's never shy, hides behind the mom. The mom's like, what's going on? And the shop owner's like, oh, poor fellow, he seems to be shy. And he puts his hands into the candy jar, takes some candy, puts it in a bag, and let them have it. On their way back home, the mom says, son, why were you shy? You've never been shy before. This mom. I was not shy. I was smart. And I was like, what do you mean? Mom, did you see how big those man's hands were? <laughs> Huge hands. And if I put my hand in the jar and took some candy, I'll just have a little bit. But when he put his hand, I knew I was going to get a lot. So I let him do it for me. I was being smart, man. I was not shy. The same is true for you and me. We can work all our life at grabbing and trying to make our dreams come true by our own little hands. But the day we surrender and say, Lord, I'm going to let you take control. His hands are far bigger. And when he blesses you, like the disciples experienced, their nets tear with too much. You and I will see great things. More than we have imagined. Not that we live for the blessings. Whether it's on this side of heaven or that side of heaven, that's fine. But knowing that God's got our back. Let us surrender. Let us surrender all our lives to be for him, to live for him. This year will be far greater than you ever imagined if you and I can let go and say, Lord, I surrender, whatever you want. And I want you. I want you. I love the words of a man who sang with Dr. Billy Graham whenever he preached. And he says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. And he sang that with so much conviction and passion. And saying, I mean it. All of this is nothing. I want him. And when we invite him with that sort of desperation, he comes with an even greater power for his glory. Can we do something together as we conclude? Can I ask all of you 
to get your index fingers in front of you and hit it against each other as hard as you can, as hard as you can. And this is the power when you let go of one thing in your life and you start saying, Lord, I'm desperate for you. I want you to do what you can. There's power there. And then when you take two things in your life and you say, I never surrendered this to you before, Lord, but I'm giving this to you as well. I want you to do greater things. There's power there. But then when you arrive three things in your life and your three fingers coming in and it's like, I never knew that I could be used this way. I was always limited to my own understanding of what I could do, but when I let God do, there's more power. But then when you start letting four things in your life, for the four corners of your life, saying, Lord, my, you are my cornerstone, and I surrender to you. And then finally, when you start saying, you experience the power the Lord has placed. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord. Would you rise and worship Him with me? Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you. We surrender. Pray that the Lord will bless you this year, so that you will be a blessing. Pray that you and I can surrender for great things to come. And right now where you are at, I want you to start praying and surrendering to God. Father, we give you our lives, Lord. Hallelujah. Everything we have, Lord, we surrender unto you that you will be glorified. That your kingdom will be expanded. That wherever we go, that there will be no doubt that God is there. Not because we're great, but because you are God. Because we have surrendered and you have clothed us with the righteousness of your Son. And so we go, Lord, to the most difficult places to the most darkest circumstances. We go because we are called to be the light of the world and not the light of the church. So Father, help us to grow beyond the parameters of our comfort zones, beyond the parameters of our selfish ambition and be what you have called us to be. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. We glorify you, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. Hallelujah. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. We surrender, Lord. Lord, we choose to trust in you with all our heart. To lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge you. And we know that you will make our path straight. And we know without a shimmer of doubt that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen.